This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. What's up, everybody? I'm Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake going through the window pane, <laughs> our editor in chief. How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing well. That's funny, man. I don't think in all, you know, you and I now go back uh, eight and a half years, if my math is correct. And I don't think I ever made you prouder than that time after that Christmas party I broke into <laughs> our, 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 our dear, uh, beloved colleague, uh, Amanda Mester's apartment in Brooklyn. Without question. So we had our first ever uh, holiday party and it was a long night, uh, stretched actually into the morning. <laughs> And we went back to one of our colleagues' uh, apartments, and she had locked herself out. And all of a sudden, it took Jake Payne like two seconds to get us in. He just said, whoop. And all of a sudden, the door was open. I was like, yo, skills. But then last night, um, you, had, you, had, you had a snafu. You had to oh, break man. out your skills again, right? Yeah, man. I was, uh, I was up in northern New Jersey, so it was a long way back to Philly. And... Uh, yeah, locked out and it was a digital, you know, thing and, and the battery died. So I couldn't get in last night um, and a locksmith was going to be a lot of money this morning. But I, uh, you know, used some intuition. Another, uh, I used two, two uh, credit cards back to back and I got in through the basement. Uh, <laughs> so, man, I uh, just like I made you proud in 2015, I, I, I made my my lovely partner in crime, uh, proud in 2021. And we saved a lot of money on the locksmith, even though last night was not a good night of rest, but luckily so much has happened with hip hop this weekend, man. I'm just running on adrenaline. I don't know about you. Word, man. You can't keep a good man down or woman. And, uh, speaking of breaking and entering, like you said, two hip hop legends, you know, pushed their way into the rock and roll hall of fame last night. Uh, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has been a very polarizing topic amongst our audience, as you know. You know, one hand, people are like, wow, it's a phenomenal honor. Like, you know, hip hop deserves its recognition. On the other hand, people are like, you know, why do we need the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? We should have a hip hop Hall of Fame. Like, we don't need their validation. You know, similar arguments that we get for the Grammys. What's your take on that? You know, I, I say both. I mean, shout out to, you know, the hip hop museum that's coming in the Bronx. And, you know, we've we've seen a lot of news, um, even through the pandemic surrounding that. But as I've said before, you know, I've um, I've made three or four trips to Cleveland to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, I grew up in Pittsburgh, just 90 minutes away, two hours away. And, you know, I am happy anywhere that hip hop is represented. So the Smithsonian Rock and Roll Hall of Fame you know, the Songwriting Hall of Fame, all of those doors that, that we get into um, as a culture, I'm, I'm with it. And you and I have always agreed that a lot of it is, is long overdue. But um, I think that last night especially was a, was a great reminder on why it's deserved. And I hope, um, you know, as the Hip Hop Hall of Fame goes, that that same type of, of grand scale celebration carries over there. Yeah, you know, I think over time, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has gravitated to being more of a music hall of fame. I think it's due for a rebrand. Uh, you know, being from Pittsburgh and I'm from the Midwest, 
you know how you know sometimes growing up people would ask if you wanted a coke and then the next question would be what kind right it became <laughs> it became yeah. a generic statement for any kind of soda and i think rock and roll has at least for the hall of fame has become that for music but i think it's time to kind of change do a rebrand refresh my only hesitation though is that when we leave things to institutions that have come up through one foundation one lens a lot of times other genres are not uh you know authentically accepted in the same way i think it's the problem we've got with the grammys in that you know you have people who you know uh, are from a, a certain mindset you know trying to like judge other cultures that are more diverse and you don't get as inclusive as you should be so i think that that's the one thing that's well said, you know, in, in the last few years, the big Rock and Roll Hall of Fame moments that I remember, you know, have been a, about honoring, you know, our fallen, you know, last year, which was peak pandemic, it was, you know, Biggie getting in. And a few years ago, I think 2017, if I'm not mistaken, it was it was Tupac. And it's great to see those guys. NWA, yeah. NWA, you know, shout out Public to enemy. Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five and but but last night, this weekend, it was very much about living legends. And that was a term that was used. And, and not to compare the two, but I love the energy and the vibrance of not just those two you know, legends that were inducted, but their, their movements, the people that spoke for them. I mean, this really felt like the biggest moment to me that I can say um, has applied to hip hop at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, because even with NWA, which was massive, and that, that coincided with the Straight Outta Compton film and, you know, those guys and, and you know, Easy's family coming together. This one just felt like on a whole other scale. I don't know about you from, from what you saw. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, and so the two people we're talking about are LL Cool J and Jay-Z. And, you know, not to take away from it at all, but I didn't even realize there were different categorizations for how you could enter into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. LL Cool J has been up six times, and uh, it wasn't until this time that he got in. First of all, I think that's a travesty because I think LL Cool J is one of the most important figures in hip hop, period, in any any uh, decade. And we're going to get into this in a minute. I think he, he might be the most under-respected Hip hop artists of all time. I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna lay that out. I just had, I was in uh, on a vacation last week, got into a friendly uh, battle with um, a very respected music industry person about who, about LL Cool J and his catalog. And I was saying no one could really touch his catalog because he goes three decades. You know, so we had a versus uh, between LL and Ice Cube. Now those are two of my favorite MCs of all time. My second and third favorite MCs. Um, and, you know, chronologically speaking. Um, and LL didn't play in the room the way that I thought he, he should have, you know, even like uh, my girl was rooting against me on this. And I'm like, yo, this is this is crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think that LL has, has not gotten that respect, man. Hip hop's first pop superstar. We'll go through all the accolades in a second, but he got in on in the category of musical excellence instead of as a performer. I didn't even know those two things existed. But if LL Cool J, one of the best performers in hip hop and one of the, and one of the most impactful artists, can't get in for just, you know, in the regular category, whatever it may be, like what's going on, man? Preach. That's that is such a great point. And, you know, when they when they announced this earlier this year of who the inductees were, I had to look and make sure that it wasn't 
you know, an anecdote in LL, and I love this about LL, immediately went to social media with the Rock the Bells team. And they said, you know, we're getting in, which last night, I mean, it was evident that, um, you know, LL and Jay-Z were, you know, I thought those ceremonies um, were, were very equal, you know, in terms of grandeur and significance, but 100%. And if, if there was any doubt, I think LL's performance last night, and I mean, LL has done some you know, big televised performances, you know, over the years, but I thought it was superb to rock the bells with Eminem. And we'll, we'll talk about all of that. Word, word. All right. So before we get into the actual ceremony, let's talk about these two guys and what they've accomplished over their careers, like just as, and as performers, as artists, as individuals. I want to start with LL because, you know, he's foundational to hip hop. We know that Curtis Blow was probably the first big rap solo act. You know, um, I think it was the first to go gold, maybe even platinum. Uh, he was the first one to have a, a legit album instead of just a, a compilation of singles. But LL, I would say, was the first great rap superstar. You know, he comes onto the scene um, 1984, I believe, with Crush Groove. You know, there's a scene, they're, they're auditioning for a talent show. He's late. It's, uh, you know, the Crush Groove, for those who don't know, is based loosely on the the, fount- the the origin story of Def Jam. Russell Simmons, Blair Underwood plays him. Um, I think Rick Rubin was even in the, the scene. I can't remember. Yeah, he but, plays himself. Yeah. yeah, he plays himself. And so, um, you know, they're telling this dude, and Andre Harrell, rest in peace, is there too. Like, yo, man, yo, yo, auditions are over. And LL goes, box! And then all of a sudden, just breaks into, uh, I can't live without my radio. And dude, like, I saw it in the theater. Don't go age shaming me, because I know how you get, Jake. Yeah, man. <laughs> I saw it in the theater. No, man. And dude, the reaction in the crowd was wild. This dude was just, he just he just illuminated the whole place, man. And that that made me a major LL fan. Then the, the album comes out, Radio. And the rest is history. But this guy was a sex symbol. He could rap hard. You know, the, the, the dudes wanted to be him and the ladies wanted to be with him. You know, he was just that guy. I need love. Rock the bells, the whole nine. Like he really made hip hop, in my opinion, kind of a global phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously I can't I, you know, and I talk about this a lot. I can't claim to have lived that. You know, I, I knew of Mama Said Knock You Out when it dropped. And I always remember the In Living Color where they got, uh, you know, Jimmy Walker and they spoofed it. And that record, you know, was, was playing on the radio. But I'm, I would say that, you know, I, I watched LL Superstardom two comebacks later with the Mr. Smith album in 95, 96. But I remember being, not long after that, having the radio cassette tape. And to me, that was a perfect album. It was one of the earliest perfect albums like that. And I would say Run DMC solo um you know their eponymous debut not solo eponymous debut and uh yeah i mean what ll did is incredible and the fact that he could balance those both of those worlds that you're speaking of without compromise without deviation without really chasing in my opinion is um is huge and and that was i mean we're literally only talking about the first year or two of ll's career yeah absolutely and and i will you know go on record as clarifying i'm i'm talking about superstar uh, solo superstar impact yeah. Because no one, I don't think, advanced hip-hop more than Run DMC, you know, um, starting in 1983 and, you know, breaking the the rap barrier on MTV and, you know, what they did with Aerosmith and just truly making hip-hop a mainstream commercial force. 
but on the solo expression of that, LL was that dude. And, you know, so the first album drops and then Bad comes and, you know, he's got the video. He's like, you know, he's like, you know, give me that walkie talkie. Like he's just, he's just that guy that is really um, just exploding up the screen. And he had a bit of a dip after that. You know, he had um, the Less Than Zero soundtrack going back to Cali. And we'll talk about Dr. Dre's joke about that was a cool song. It was a change in flow for him, a change in speed. Um, it was more musical. People were used to just like hard drum beats and scratches with LL. This had more production to it and a different flow. And it's a precursor of what was to come with Walk Like a Panther. He drops on that type of guy and, um, you know, people weren't feeling it. Um, you know, and so a lot of people thought that he was over because back then, you know, you had two, three albums as a hip hop artist, most people, and then you kind of faded, you know, um, that happened with, with Eric B and Rakim. It happened with, um, Big Daddy Kane. KRS is one who navigated the waters and lasted for a much longer time in terms of like album catalog, but it was easy for people to kind of write LL off at that point. And then... 1991 comes and or 1989 um no i know you're talking about yeah 90 comes and um you get jingling baby and it's like a whole like new sound for uncle l future of the funk like it's like this guy is like okay he's back and he's different you know and much props to marley marl for doing that too but despite the fact of the title of that album and the first line in that song, Don't Call It A Comeback, Mama Said Knock You Out, LL Cool J was the first rapper to have a major comeback. And not only did it reposition his career for that decade, but it took him all the way up into the, the, the 2000s. Um, and in my opinion, there's not been anyone besides maybe um, Jay who's had as long of a run as LL did. You know, LL had like a 15, like a 17, 18 year run between 83, 84 and like 2002. Yeah. That's just, that's just astronomical, right? Um, it is. And I think, you know, you talk, you, you're the person that, that, that kind of brought me into this, but you know, LL has arguably two, if not three comebacks, maybe more, depending on, on how, on how microscopic you want to get. What's interesting about his comebacks is there was not an industry around him that kind of, kind of manufactured those. Like nowadays, I look at it and like, you know, an artist goes to prison. Like when Meek Mill came out, as long as he didn't make a flop album, I feel that the, the culture surrounded Meek to make his next album, you know, uh, Championships, a comeback album. Like, you know, we've, we've seen it time and time again, um, you know, with, with different with different artists after a misstep that industry didn't exist and hip hop was so quick to say no, you know, because of the, the lifespan of an artist and LL just completely on his own terms, completely based on art and his own kind of bucking the system was able to steer his own ship. And nowadays we live in a time where every album is a different look for an artist. You know, this is my 808s and heartbreak. This is my beautiful twisted dark fantasy. If you go through LL's catalog, you know, every album was a statement of where he was at at those times. And like you said, they weren't all successful, but the fact that you can go from a radio to a mama said, knock you out to a Mr. Smith, to a goat, all of those albums have very defined themes and motifs to them. And that's huge because every artist today 
that should that would use the word artist and not just rapper they all copy that formula yeah you're right man he he redefined himself and but also stayed true to many different like bases you know he he could have four three two one and who shot you for the streets and then he could come back with hey lover and like you know live with boys and men at the top of the charts for for weeks so you know okay so he was the first and i think the biggest superstar solo artist in hip-hop in the 80s would you would you agree with that yeah 100 percent. okay um since and he's had an 18 he had an 18 year run since then you know, he's been eclipsed and um, there are people who have had 24, 25, 30 year runs, you know, um, Jay being one of them. I think uh, Eminem is one, you know, there are people who are still relevant from the early nineties, like Outkast, Nas is absolutely one. There are a lot of people now who are not, you know, 24, 25 year range, maybe even 30. Um, but LL was the guy who paved the way for that kind of long distance success to occur in hip hop. So I don't think he gets the, the, his first rap sex symbol for, um, and he, you know, I don't think he gets the credit for the impact that he has, um, musically speaking. Now he also transitioned from music into acting, you know, just as his star was starting to fade a little bit on the, the music tip, he starts doing films, um, I would say people probably know him more now for his acting success, more people, I should say, than his rapping success. You know, there are a lot of people out there in middle America who know him as the guy from NCIS, the guy from Lip Sync Battle, the guy who hosts the Grammys. You know, uh, what do you think about that? I think he and Cube are the only guys to completely reposition themselves that way. Will Smith, too. You know, I would add maybe Queen Latifah. Um, you know, it was funny. Two weeks ago, I was talking to a 76-year-old woman from Lebanon. You know, English is not her first language. And she was sitting down, like, telling me about the shows she tapes, and NCIS was one of them. And I was like, you know LL Cool J? And she was like, oh, yeah. You know, and it's so funny to me, because I don't know if she would know any other hip-hop artists, let alone any contemporary American artist. But you're absolutely right. You know, both of my parents, for, for different reasons, know LL's face my grandmother before she passed watched the shows um yeah I mean he has transcended all of that and he's one of those artists that you might know for a litany of different reasons but yeah I think on the hip-hop side that's almost become secondary except to hip-hop heads yeah yeah for real so okay fast forward we're now in the present he's in the rock and roll hall of fame regardless of the category uh last night looked like it was special um, you know, I took some time right before this to do a deep dive into the, the, the event and it will be out probably on HBO. It's been on HBO the last several years. Last year was virtual. And in my opinion, one of the best shows they've ever done, like the, the packages, the video packages they did were just phenomenal. Uh, but this year it went back to the traditional format of being in the Barclays, being a huge celebration, you know, public acceptance speeches and then performances too. So you want to break down a little bit what happened last night? Yeah, but I, correct me if I'm wrong. That was in Cleveland last night. Oh, Cleveland. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You're um, so LL Cool J, first of all, I mean, hip hop heads will appreciate this. LL goes to it with crew, with troop. I mean, he goes to it with cut creator, which, you know, you talk about, you know, being the first uh, solo star. And I mean, shout out to AJ Scratch with Curtis Blow. I mean, we know the DJs 
of the early guys, but cut creator, I mean, was all over from a shout out standpoint to the actual cuts all over the radio album. And LL shows up with cut creator and E-Love, who I believe is standing over his shoulder in the scene you just mentioned from Crush Groove. And he goes with his current DJ, Z-Trip, who has for long, since I was in high school, been one of my favorite live performing DJs and, and really is a fitting DJ for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because he's always bridged those worlds together. Um, so LL goes, and who does he get an induction speech from? So this year was really about the presentation speech. And I, both, um, both Jay-Z and LL got people that I always stopped to listen to. And for LL, he gets Dr. Dre. And I think it's so interesting because these guys are true contemporaries. Um, but Dre is a recluse. And this is a middle of a year where Dre is coming back to the spotlight. You know, we, we talked about it on a recent episode. But at the beginning of 2021, you know, suffered a brain aneurysm, was in the hospital for, if I'm not mistaken, over a week. Um, but Dre is coming out and it's one of the best live performances I've seen with Dre, not musically, but he really worked the crowd and, and had me laughing and had a lot of people in Cleveland laughing. And what's cool is, you know, in my opinion, if you really look at the history of world-class wrecking crew, Dre has been out a little bit longer than LL, but, but Dre really made it about LL being the pioneer. He called him a master of longevity, which I think is huge and really says, you know, for 35 years, LL has been on this thing. He's never taken his foot off of it. He talks about, um, he came in with a really interesting anecdote. Dre hits the stage and he says, you know, LL, you told me a story one time about after all the things you did for Def Jam, all the years you had been there. So I assume it's probably somewhere around, you know, earlier mid 2000s. They gave you a, a whack watch. I forget the word he used, yeah. like a wristwatch. And I thought that that was so interesting. And, and Dre brought that speech full circle because he really presented LL as an overcomer you know, somebody who, you know, suffered trauma. And the trauma that Dre alluded to was kind of being, like you said, under-respected, under-appreciated. Um, but there's also other traumas in LL's life. You know, he was raised by his grandmother. Um, you know, he spoke a lot about, you know, kind of coming up from the basement. You know, he, he made his early bones, you know, writing raps and kind of building his delivery in the basement, you know, in, uh, in Queens. Um, but Dre gives him that. He also said, you know, you, you were always authentic to who you were. You never chased, but you had this ability to make pop records, make records that were about love, you know, softer records for, for women and otherwise, and then make the hard records on the same way. And Dre was really, really funny with it. Um, you mentioned going back to Cali and Dre kind of takes umbrage with the famous chorus of that song, which I thought was, was, was funny. Um, he also got another joke in of like, what does LL mean? And at one point he said, licking lips, which yep. I thought was hilarious. But he does at the end. I mean, this was like the illest toast to me because he said it stands for living legend. Because yeah. that's what you are. And then Dre talked about something that was a massive story on Ambrosia for Heads, which is these two guys have recorded several albums worth of material. And we, you know, it hasn't really been talked about in a while. Z Trip was one of the people who shed a little light on it a few years after we first heard about it. But Dre tells the story of, you know, him being out in the Mediterranean, presumably on a super yacht and reaching out to LL. And LL and his wife, Simone, flew out to wherever Dre was in the Mediterranean and they kicked it to make some music. But Dre spoke about how that time together and their families together, you know, was about so much more. And you and I speak all the time about how, it's so much bigger than hip hop. It's so much bigger than the music. 
we love the music. That's what gets us in the door. But I thought that was just such a great toast coming from, you know, one of those people, you know, a billionaire, somebody that I feel like often gets the credit that sometimes LL should be also getting. So, well, you know, that, that was my takeaway, but I have to ask you, what, what did you think? I mean, that's a, you just dropped a lot of game there and, you know, just there's so much to unpack. First of all, you say a billionaire and the reality is we had two hip hop billionaires on the rock and roll hall of fame stage last night. Mm-hmm. How ill is that? Right. Yeah. You got, Dr. Dre and Jay-Z in the same building on the same stage representing hip hop, you know, be it, you know, and, and all are now um, inductees too. So that that's crazy, man. That just tells you how far we've gotten as a culture and, you know, not just musically, but like in terms of like overall global impact, that's, that's crazy. Um, you know, in terms of the music that Dre and uh, LL have together, it was cool hearing, you know, Dre, and he said, listen, I'm not trying to like uh, flex, but, you know, I, I got a yacht and I was in the <laughs> and I hit him up and I was like, yo, I got a studio on the boat. So uh, <laughs> that tells you what kind of what kind of boat um, Dr. Dre has. But, you know, in addition to the story, you and I also did a clip of the freestyle they did. And I can't remember if it was for Apple Music or just debuted on Beats One, but uh, on Dre's show. But LL did a freestyle over a new Dre beat. And this is like 2014, something like that. And it just went crazy. It sounded amazing. He had LL sounding as good as he has in years. So part of me hopes that with this kind of victory lap tour that Dre seems to be embarking upon with um, not only, you know, the Super Bowl announcement that he's hitting that stage, but he's also going to have music featured in a couple of Grand Theft Auto uh, compilations and there's rumors about new album coming out. I would love to see some of this LL Cool J and Dr. Dre music come out too, because I think it would be a really great uh, coda for both of them, um, you know, to to have that kind of mic drop moment, the year that LL gets to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the year that Dr. Dre stunts on the world and puts the Super Bowl and puts the hip hop on the main stage at the Super Bowl. So I thought that was incredible. Uh, I thought it was great to see Dre as a fan and we'll get into this with Jay-Z too, but it was evident, deeply, deeply evident from all of these guys that, that at the core, they are fans. They are people who love the culture still to this day. And I think that that's what it's really all about. A lot of people get caught up in the trappings of the money and the fame, but for these guys who have made it to the highest level, it stems from the love of hip hop. And to me that that's just purity. You know, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And also going back to your point, you know, they didn't, Dre's speech wasn't like, yo, I'm a rapper in a house that rock and roll built. Like he got real comfortable at that podium and he spoke to LL as if it was the hip hop museum, mm-hmm. the hip hop hall of fame. And you see that throughout the night, like the way that Jay-Z talks about his catalog, it's not giving you the thumbnail version you know, for the people that might only know 99 problems or hard knock life. Like, no, he you know, we'll talk about it later, but, but they, you know, hip hop made itself comfortable because this is our house too, you know, and, and, and we all know the, 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 the the history and the racial dynamics of rock and roll, but hip hop is a child of this. So it has every right to get comfortable. And I just love seeing Dre that relaxed, honestly, you know, I mean, he's done some interviews with big boy and stuff, you know, when he put out the Compton album, but this is one of the most relaxed I've ever seen Dre. 
you know, at a long form. He's not sitting next to Jimmy Iovine, you know, promoting a new line of headphones or something like that. This was Dre just in his element and knowing the kind of year that he's had on the personal tip, it, it you know, I was smiling throughout about LL, about Dre, about the whole damn thing. Well, I don't think the two are unrelated. You know, I think that he looks like he's got a new lease on life. He had a life-threatening uh, aneurysm. He's had a divorce that has been just like absolutely scorching. You know, this is Dr. Dre easing into his next chapter and doing so in a way where I think he appreciates nothing can be taken for granted. And he's accomplished so much. Just have fun with it. You know, the, the, the rub on Dre has always been that he's a perfectionist to the point of it being debilitating. And that's why, you know, none of the music comes out. People actually have to like wrestle it from him. You know, if, if he is, if he starts to embrace the notion that perfection is the enemy of, um, of good, um, uh, I think that's the phrase, uh, then do we could be in for a whole new chapter of Dr. Dre music coming out in the next, like, you know, in this, in this decade, which would be amazing. And we've talked about that before. I think, you know, what Jay-Z did with 444, I think what we've seen, you know, Fonte and Royce and Master Ace and AZ and Black Thought, what we've seen artists in their 40s going into their 50s doing, um, that's not even up for discussion anymore. I think the, the, it's been proven that MCs, that, that age is not about it. And these guys have something to say and they can still compete on the highest level. And I don't know that the conversation was there 10 years ago or even five years ago. Um, so I love where we're at it because it sets the stage for, you know, Dr. Dre and LL Cool J and of course, Jay-Z and so many others to be the Rolling Stones, to be Bob Dylan, to be somebody that is just as, you know, endeared in their 50s, 60s, hopefully beyond that as they were in their 20s and 30s. So, you know, we've been yeah. arguing that for years. Yeah, you know, so... I don't know that there's been a better cultural year for hip hop, you know, just given the enormity of some of the moments that we've had. And so moving to the next inductee, one of those moments, we talked about the notion of having two hip hop billionaires on the same stage on the same night. We also had an appearance you know, by video of uh, one of the most important Black figures in our history, uh, our American history, and probably the world's history, is uh, Barack Obama, President of the United States, is one of the two people to induct Jay-Z into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, what kind of mic drop is that when you dust your shoulders off and have the President of the United States induct you? You know, I love it. 4-4 four, four into 4-4-4, four, four, four. you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, Jay... Uh, Barack Obama, President Obama, you know, did something for Jay when he was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame a few years ago. But the public didn't get to see that all the way, you know, like they did now. Um, so I think it's massive. And it shows that that relationship, you know, has grown out of convenience. You know, later in the night, Jay talks about how much it meant to him when, you know, Obama kind of tapped him and said, I need your help. I need your help on this campaign in 2008. And, you know, tasked Jay with that. And then again in 2012. But, you know, these guys have maintained a friendship and a relationship. When Jay-Z, you know, wrapped Obama on the text, that was true then and it's true now. And I love to see that. And I like the fact that the other person that introduced Jay was Dave Chappelle, because that's also Jay going with somebody that is, you know, very, um, you know, authentic and accessible, but also more buttoned up. And then 
you know, Chappelle's first words were, you know, uh, making light of himself uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that, that doesn't shy away from controversy. So you had that interesting dichotomy, which is true of Jay. And, and Jay's speech later in the night does the exact same thing where he really, you know, holds himself and, and, and speaks to the audience. He knows he's a legend, but also jokes that he's going to be in court on Monday. Word. So before we get into his induction, let, let's talk about his career too. the impact this man has had. So in the 90s, you know, he starts off with Jazzo, um, you know, Big L. There are a lot of people who helped to put Jay-Z on. Right. So Jazzo is, is one of them. Big Daddy, Big Daddy Kane. Kane, you know, had a had a hand kind of behind the scenes. Not not a ton of work that they did together. Clark Kent. Clark Kent. Uh, the Big L freestyle that w- that aired on you know the WKCR show with Stretching by Beto uh, is one that it, for those who haven't heard that like just YouTube it Big L Jay Z freestyle it goes over the 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 beat that um, Milkbone have for Keep It Real um, and people probably don't even re- remember that um, but uh, they went on for like you know f- like twelve fifteen minutes just back and forth just like killing. And um, it was, the focus was all on Big L at the time because he was in the hotness. But Jay like held his own and kind of did his thing. Kind of reminds me of that Kendrick Lamar, Charles Hamilton uh, session right. where there's an upstart that comes in and is like, yo, who is this? But um, it was very clear when Reasonable Doubt dropped in 1996 that there was a very uh, strong competition brewing for King of New York. For a while, King of New York was was uh, you know basically the same as King of Hip Hop because you know New York ran hip hop, and so if you were the King of New York, you were the King of Hip Hop. And I would say that there was a three man race at the time between Biggie, Nas, and Jay Z. You have uh, you, you think it, would you slot anyone else in there? And you think it was a race or or, or what? I mean, I think of, of, of mass perception. I like that. I would agree with that. There's that famous, you know, there's that famous line, favorite MCs, Biggie, Jay-Z, and Nas. Um, and, and I would also say, you know, in 95, 96, Raekwon and Ghostface are in the conversation. But I think that's more probably to the hardcore hip-hop fan. You know, I think from the, the, the mainstream or the people that, you know, might buy three to five albums a year, 100%, those three. Yeah. So, you know, most people, I think, would say it was big. And a lot of people think that Big's passing cleared the way for Jay and Nas. Uh, But regardless of what your thoughts are, I think that Hove had that crown by himself in the O's. Like, we're talking now Reasonable Doubt, the Black Album, um, you know, that's through 2004. Comes out with Kingdom Come, like 2007 or so. A lot of people aren't really checking for that, but then we get American Gangster, um, you know, and uh, there there are a lot of like whole moments in the O's where I don't know that anyone else in New York could take that crown. What, what do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, I think that Jay-Z is a living testament of trusting the process. You know, you look at his career and, and, you know, one of the things, his first time on Wax, as we understand it, is somewhere around 86, you know, him doing this like teenage group, putting out a very limited edition vinyl, like a lot of people did. Um, but then you see him in like 89, 90 with Jazz O, as you mentioned, doing some spots with Original Flavor, the Big Daddy Kane um, show and prove, you know, feature with uh, Sauce Money and ODB. Little steps, 
but then you get to reasonable doubt and you know it it, it was i i i remember the album coming out i remember hearing jay-z's name but it wasn't you know for people that heard it it got a great review and all of that but it wasn't like an ilmatic it wasn't just a a boom as i understand it so then the next five years between that and the blueprint you really start to see jay coming into his shoes you know number one album after number one album hit songs crossing into pop music doing amazing collaborations um and yeah by the 2000s to me it was undisputed it was really at that point the conversation which i know is in a new york centric conversation but just at the mainstream level it's eminem and jay-z and if you want to make a case for it you can possibly say jaro or nelly but to me it was those two guys at that level especially um by the time you get to the middle of the decade you know Nas was a contender through Stomatic and Nas has always come you know but Jay just continued with a level of consistency that I think was incredible through the 2000s yeah you know how did I want to get back to that consistency uh, point but how did you how did you find out about Jay-Z did you was your entry point Reasonable Doubt or was it another another album you know I heard some of Reasonable Doubt on mixtapes and stuff like that Honestly, I mean, around that time, and, and, and probably a lot of people won't admit this, but you heard Tupac just, you know, going on a slew of people that he was angry with. And I knew Mob Deep, I knew Junior Mafia, I knew Nas, you know, I was familiar with their work and their albums. And then there was this guy, Jay-Z, that you would hear a few different places. And I didn't own Reasonable Doubt. I probably didn't buy the album until 97, 98, um, after volume one was out. So, you know, I was a little bit late to the party and I'm confident enough to have to admit that, you know, always. But yeah, I mean, I knew the name. Yeah. So 1996, the album was out maybe a few weeks or so. And uh, my guy, Ian Stamen, who I went to college with, he was A&R at Tommy Boy Records. We used to argue about hip hop in college. We still argue about hip hop to this day on on uh, WhatsApp. Uh, but he's always had a great ear. Um, got a blog himself called Different Kitchen. Shout out to him. But he was like, yo, you should check out this dude, Jay-Z. I think you would dig him. And so I go, I get reasonable doubt. And dude, my life changed. You know, unabashedly, Jay-Z is my, has been my goat longer than anyone. Like right now, it's, it's in strong contention for me between him and Kendrick. And we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, when I heard Reasonable Doubt, dude, I did not put that album down for like six months. It was just mm. in constant heavy rotation. And if you were in, like, like you said, there were not a lot of people who were in. But if you were in, you were all the way in. And one of my greatest New York moments I can remember, I just gotten there, was living there for a year. I was a corporate lawyer at the time. And if we worked late, we could have a black car on the way back. I was living in Harlem, a little beat up apartment. And I remember um, I called a car, it was like 1130 at night, and it was another young black man who picked me up in the car. And we were driving off the West Side Highway looking at the Hudson, and I heard him playing Jay-Z real softly in the car. I was like, yo, is that Jay-Z? And he's like, yeah. And he said, you you like you like him? I was like, yeah, man, turn that up. And (laughs) man, he turned Can I Live Up? on 10 and it, we would do the whole car was shaking man and we weren't saying a word we were just nodding like that 
it was one of the greatest hip hop New York moments ever, man. But that was that was my You're introduction. Car eighty three shit right there. Yeah. yeah, for real, for real. That exactly, exactly. So that was my intro to Jay. But getting back to the consistency, I've long argued now for a long time that there are only two solo art artists who have classic four classic albums, um, and I, maybe there's Outkast in there as a group. But the only two that I can think of, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. It's cool. I'll stand by it. I'll stand by it. I'll take all those bullets. It's Jay-Z and Kendrick Lamar. Jay might have five. You know, in, in my opinion, he's got Reasonable Doubt. He's got Blueprint. He's got Black Album. I put 444 up there as the best um, at that point before. We've heard, had a lot now since then. Um, Nas, Nas with uh, uh, Life is Good Too, but like one of the best grown man hip-hop albums ever talking about things that men in their 40s experience um you know a lot of people might put volume two up in there um you know some people might put volume three no matter how you slice it i think jay has four classic albums but you agree or disagree yeah i mean i'm I'm thinking of other people that are close and, and there's a lot of folks that would make that case for nas you and i have spoken about that on other episodes and we, we shoot nas a lot of love on this show I think Common is somebody that's that's close in that conversation. I mean, Common to me has three, possibly four, but of of getting strictly to your point, I would say so. I mean, Reasonable Doubt, Black Album, Blueprint, 444, there's your four right there. Um, and I would, you know, cases could be made for other things. I really like the American Gangster album. I don't think that it gets the credit it deserves sometimes. But, um, you know, and and... I Jay-Z all day long, same, same, same statement, at least four. And if I really sat down, I might, I might give it to the, 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 the fifth. Word. Okay. So he's also stayed relevant since 1996. And so that's 25 years and it's in a different way than LL. And he's truly, truly relevant, right? He's not making legacy artist music that only appeal to, uh, you know, people who like read, you know, our site, um, yeah. because there are a lot of great artists who are doing that. You know, all the dudes we talked about in Woo are still making great music, but they don't have the same kind of mainstream appeal they used to. Jay-Z puts out a song now, he moves the dial, right? You know, um, Nas is the same way. Um, so he's been relevant now for 25 years. He dropped an album tomorrow. It's, it's shifting the course of hip-hop. We dropped two songs um, this week, which we'll talk about later. But, you know, so... That in itself is, is an incredible feat, you know, but putting aside the music, which is a massive caveat because his music has had so much impact. This guy is, is moving to a place where his uh, his his presence off the court may be bigger than his presence on the court. He's on, he, he's compared himself to Michael Jordan for many years. And this is another parallel. Michael Jordan on the court. You know, many believe he's the GOAT. Now he's built a, a shoe empire that is rivaled by none. You know, um, Jordan by itself is like, you know, rivals Nike as a whole, yeah. as a shoe. And, and, and Hove as a businessman, uh, you know, he's now, you know, a lot of people believe at $2 billion. And he's done it through a, a, a multiple ways. You know, he did it, you know, first of all, by um, Rockaware. And really, you know, catching that hip hop fashion wave that Russell and Puff were leading with Fat Farm and Sean John. 
he went uh, into film, you know, when that was the move, when Master P and, and Death Row and Dre were doing, you know, movies and all of that. And he even talked about that, you know. Yeah. And people talk about Puff owning the nightlife, and that's his brand with Rock and, and other things. Jay has owned the nightlife, too, you know, uh, with successful venues, 4040. You know, Puff had Justin's, but 4040 has endured the test of time. It's now in airports like Atlanta and things like that. Uh, it's in it's in Las Vegas. Um, you know, but also with the, the spirits, you know, he was endorsing Cristal and giving them all sorts of free advertisement. And then when they, you know, basically shit on hip hop culture and, you know, didn't want that element as part of what they did, which is ironic now when we talk about this global impact pack that hip hop has, he said, cool, we'll launch our own spirits brands. And um, I forget the name of the parent company, but um, um, he or Armagnon, Arm, yeah. Armagnon de Brignac, or, uh, but, you know, he has Doucet and uh, had Doucet in Ace of Spades, which he sold for a cool like 300 million or so um, earlier this year. And then on top of that, you know, his biggest thing is probably Rock Nation, you know, yeah. um, uh, and um, and well, he, music executive, too, and president of Def Jam signs, you know, small artists like Jeezy and Rihanna, you know, uh, signed. <laughs> Sign, sign, uh, you know, uh, fledgling artists like Kanye West back in the day and put J. Cole, J. Cole and put uh, people like Just Blaze on like the guy's impact as a music executive alone would be legendary. But, you know, when you couple that with everything that Rock Nation brings to the table with artists, with um, artist representation on the management side, athletes, um, I mean, just the brand thing, you know, like it amazes me that, you know, Jay-Z you know, had made that line about the Yankee hat in, you know, Empire State of Mind. And now, you know, I can walk through most cities in America. If you take a one hour walk, you're going to see somebody wearing a Rock Nation hat. You'll see other artists that have no affiliation with Rock Nation wearing the hat. They've really, Jay-Z has succeeded in branding. I look at what he's done, you know, and this is non-monetary, but when Jay-Z said, okay, oversized throwbacks are not the move anymore, boom, everybody followed him into button-ups. When he said, don't put rims on the car anymore on 30-something, you know, putting rims on a car started to seem like a little bit gauche. You know, like, Jay drives culture. And to this day, you... What? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, crossing him can be, um, you know, career death. Not because he's this crazy, vindictive guy, but because he's somebody... That is that is revered as um, by and large unfollowable. And when he does make things that that are controversial or discussed, you know, partnering with the NFL, he always seems to land on his feet. And I mean, just just a, a pillar of respect in this culture. Yeah, and you know, Brooklyn Nets. You know, he had a big part in that. He launched his title. And to your point. The NFL move, you know, he turned down the Super Bowl halftime show because it was during the Colin Kaepernick uh, protest days. But then he joins the NFL as kind of a culture like officer, gets a lot of like heat for it. But now in a full circle moment, you know, the two black billionaires, you know, hip hop billionaires who are on stage are feeding one another. And, you know, it's LL, it's it's um, it's Jay-Z who is putting Dr. Dre on that Super Bowl stage. So just a really phenomenal moment. And as we, we said earlier, he's a guy who literally in 2008 helped put the first black president in office, like played a major role in that, like, you know, raising 
awareness and campaigning for him in swing states like Ohio and Florida. That's gigantic. That can't be measured. And, you know, just as a, a, a small aside, he happens to be married to Beyonce. I mean, so <laughs> yeah. it's part of the 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 uh, the other royal couple in, in the world. So, um, yeah, man, just incredible, incredible accomplishments as a person, um, as an entertainer, as a businessman. We haven't even touched on his philanthropy. He's done a ton of stuff um, with Reform Alliance, with Meek Mill and Van Jones and, and all those guys and helping to let, you know, get m- like tens of thousands of black men released. I know he did that for Father's Day. Dude, it just it just goes on and on the things that Jay-Z has done. We did a video that people can check out on our channel. It's called uh, What Would Happen If Jay-Z Retired After Reasonable Doubt? Because Jay had famously said that he reasonable doubt was supposed to be one and done. He always thought he could make more money in the streets than he could in the studio. And boy, was he wrong, you know? (laughs) Um, But, you know, um, the impact that he's had since that album is just, it's it's immeasurable. Yeah. All the way to the rock and roll hall of fame stage, which, you know, and again, I spoke about, I spoke about, you know, Dre presenting LL, you know, Barack Obama came in, you know, epitome of class, talks about, you know, Jay-Z and that relationship and even makes the joke you kind of just alluded to of, you know, we're just two guys that kind of live in our wives shadow, um, you know, and then you had you had Chappelle come in. But with, with Jay, when he receives this induction, he's as loose and as um, I don't know if authentic is the word because I don't know Jay like that. But Jay, you know, he's not, he gives you a window to his world. And I love, again, that he spoke to the, to the hip hop heads. He even called, you know, he speaks about, you know, reasonable doubt being a reflection of his reality and, and all of this. And he even, Jay-Z says like, oops, in regards to volume one, which made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. Because I think I like that album maybe more than Jay does. <laughs> um, but, you know, just talk to me. I spoke a little bit about, about you know, um, LL coming to the stage and everybody's being presented. Talk to me about any takeaways you had between Chappelle and Obama. Yeah, Chappelle and Obama. So both were, were short and sweet. Um, you know, Obama just, you know, like you said, he did it for the Songwriters Hall of Fame too. The fact that he doubled up really shows you that this is truly a meaningful relationship for him. And he is acknowledging what he borrowed from Jay-Z and, you know, that he called Jay-Z up and needed him to come and Jay-Z answered the call. So I, I think to have him acknowledge it's one thing rappers boast a lot, right? They say a lot of things, but to have the man himself come and vouch and say, yes, this man had a true influence on the arc of my campaign and my presidency. And not only did he help me, but his music helped me too. I was a fan of his music. That's gigantic, man. Um, and Chappelle, you know, in a lot of ways, I saw it as GOAT recognized GOAT because a lot of people see Chappelle as the GOAT of comedy, obviously embroiled in a huge amount of controversy. He's unapologetic about it. And w- whether you agree with his views or not, like he stays true to himself. And I think that that kind of ethos applies to Jay-Z as well. You know, he's endured lots of controversy. We talked about the NFL stuff. Um, you know, he's been in heat for his past, you know, through Fox News and things like that. But he's never apologized for who he is. He's always stayed true to himself. And I don't think he gets to where he got without doing that. 
I, I agree with you. And I think that Dave made a really, you know, he came in with a joke, which had everyone laughing, but he said something that you and I are alluding to here. And he said, make no mistake, Jay-Z is ours, like hip hop, you know, like you, you, we're here at the Rock and Roll of Fame. And I think it's dope too. I mean, Dave Chappelle, you know, in recent years has become an Ohio guy. I know he grew up in DC, but he rides hard for Ohio and puts on those shows outside of Dayton where, you know, he has his farm. But I love that he reminded on this stage that, you know, Jay-Z, this, this is hip hop kind of giving you a show tonight. And I thought that that was a really cool point. Yeah. And so let's get into Jay-Z's speech, right? So Songwriters Hall of Fame, um, if I recall, he wasn't there. Um, he, he wasn't there to make that acceptance speech, but he did something really, really cool, which is he went on Twitter and he basically did his acceptance speech via Twitter. And he did a roll call of roll calls of hip hop legends and, you know, thanked each person individually and named something special about them, which was just gigantic. Here's this guy, arguably the most accomplished rapper of all time. Yeah going back and showing love to his predecessors in a genre that is not, you know, traditionally kind to the people who set the stage before them. So this time yeah. to do it on video and it'll come out to the world, um, you know, soon enough. They usually think, I think they do it in December or so. Um, but he goes and starts name checking specific legends and mentions things that he loves about them. You want to, you want to break that down? Yeah, I mean, in, in the, the Songwriters Hall of Fame, Jay went on, you know, he jumped on Twitter after not using it and just goes in this epic shout out of everybody from AG, you know, Andre the Giant from Showbiz and AG to Playboy Cardi, like all eras of hip hop, Mac Miller, you know, he was he was giving out flowers left and right. You know, this weekend, he really hones it into the forefathers, which is dope coming off of verses. And he goes with Rakim, Big Daddy Kane, KRS-One, Chuck D., and the fellow man of the evening, LL Cool J. And he goes through, Jay goes through and speaks about, you know, how each of these guys gave him certain ingredients, you know. And, um, you know, it's interesting, too. They weren't just the, the cookie cutter things that you might say about each of these MCs. He, he really speaks about, he says for LL, you know, he opened up the doors for us to be vulnerable. And I think that that's so interesting because here we are now. I know Jay put out, you know, regrets on his very first album. But 444 is the album that we often say, you know, is Jay at his most vulnerable. And he's talking about LL in, you know, 1987, probably with, you know, I Need Love. Like, or is that when it came out? Something like 84. That. Yeah. 84 is I Need Love. Yeah. I Need Love, not I Need a Beat. I Need Love. Yeah. Oh, okay. Word. My, um, yep. But, you know, like he, he traces through and he talks about Chuck D, you know, being this like Swiss army. That's my words, not Jay's, but having it all. What were some of the takeaways with these different guys that that stood out to you? Yeah, he talked about Rakim um, and, uh, you know, just I can't even remember what he said about Rakim. He talked about uh, Chuck D and the message that he brought. And, um, you know, KRS-One, I think he talked about like just being and MC's MC. He talked about Kane and his showmanship and the ability to like jump and spin and drop down into the splits. You know, he, he just spoke about each one of these guys as a legit fan. And, and, mm -hmm. and more importantly, he said, these are the guys who made me look and see that's what I want to do. You know, when, when I, when I grow up basically is, is be a rapper. They were the ones who inspired him to be who he is. So I think just to give them those kind of flowers was, was amazing, you know, and speaks. And Jay said, 
And Jay said, not for one minute did he ever question that calling, which I thought was so interesting because he talked about, as he's referenced in lyrics, you know, banging on the table. His mom was there. His sister was there. He even had a joke that his sister has for years claimed that she wrote his first rap. Jay kind of capped on his sister a little bit about her hat. Like it was a great raw moment. And I have, I have this belief that Jay came in with these guys in mind. This wasn't him standing up there like, yo, let me just shout out that list that we all carry of talking about the greats. No, this was very, very deliberate in a way that was different than the Songwriters Hall of Fame, which kind of was almost served as like liner notes of, of shouting out your, your influences and checking on your peers. Um, I thought it was super interesting. And also um, Jay did something that I think was meaningful. You know, like I said, LL shows up with Cut Creator and E-Love. Um, Jay, you know, they weren't there with him, but he acknowledged Dame Dash. And he right. said, even though I know we don't agree, I cannot stand here and not say this man's praise and his role in it. And he shouted out, you know, Biggs Burke, Kareem. And he said, you know, one of the most honorable people I've ever met. And he bigged up Tata, who was in the crowd. You know, the Jay-Z, like LL, like a lot of our legends, moves with a circle that, you know, we know the figures beyond the music. And I thought that he was just super duper classy and, and you know, graceful up there. Yeah, absolutely, man. So let's talk about these two guys, you know, some of the, the, the things that they share, you know, so um, they both had classic debut albums. Um, you know, we already talked about being the king of New York in their respective decades. Um, bravado, for sure, you know, in, in, a, in, in a very similar way, actually, you know, uh, Jay can be aggressive but it can also be cool, cool, um, you know, braggadocio as, as could LL. Uh, and if I can jump in there, you yeah, know, one of the interesting things that, you know, Jay-Z acknowledging LL was huge to me because for a lot of years, you know, it's been, it's been speculated. What is the relationship from these two guys? Cause even as Dre comes in and talks about the way that Def Jam treated LL on the way out, I don't know when that was, but let's not forget from, I think 2004 until 2008, Jay-Z was the president of Def Jam. And I can't see Jay-Z giving LL a watch. Like, that just doesn't seem like a Jay-Z move. But I've often heard, um, you know, through the grumblings that, you know, when LL was frustrated with the way Def Jam was treating him in those final days, you know, there would obviously be an animosity. So there's no animosity this weekend. Like, Jay-Z uses the stage to really acknowledge LL. And these are two guys that were signed to the same label for some overlapping time, but LL, you know, was the Def Jam artist from 84 to like 95, 96. It, it, you know, he had a number one album in 2000. But in that Venn diagram, you have Jay-Z popping up and getting number one albums through Rockefeller, which was distributed through Def Jam on the same label. And it's interesting that they share that history. Yeah. Uh, Def Jam was a house that LL built and Jay-Z took that house and built like a guest house, you know, he, he built, you know, Rockefeller off that and really powered Def Jam into the nineties along or into the O's along with Warren G and, you know, um, Method Man Method and Man. yeah, exactly. Um, ja Rule. Ja Rule for real, for sure. And, and uh, DMX, of course, you know, yeah. so um, yeah, man. So on the business side too, both of them, have fared incredibly well on that side. You know, hip hop has not been too kind to to many of its artists. A lot of people are, are, are struggling who had great musical careers, but these two guys along with Nas and Dre and Puff 
and a few select others have parlayed that into real meaningful, like um, other businesses, you know, LL with rock the bells and all that that's become. So he's got his radio show. He's got the media company now has the festival um, and, you know, doing all sorts of like TV and film productions. And then Jay, we went through it, like just the empire continues and, and who knows what he's got up his sleeve next. But yeah, man, uh, lots and lots of similarities for them. These both both guys stand for ownership too. I mean, Jay Z was one of the first artists that I remember. I mean, the whole existence of Rockefeller is about not being owned, about you know creative control and being your own company and using these big buildings to be your distributor and using their resources. Um, and it wasn't. I always thought it was one of my favorite stories on AFH, and I always thought it it was going to be bigger than it was, and it was still pretty big on the site. But about three years ago, you know, LL sat in with Sway on Sway in the Morning for an incredible interview, like an hour long joint. And he reveals almost matter of factly that he owns all of his own masters. Word. You know, and, and let's not forget, too. I mean, LL signs to Def Jam in 84, 83, 84, 85, somewhere in there, I think 84. And, you know, those type of deals were not in play for new artists to own things. And LL clearly did things over time and renegotiated things to make it very much in his favor. And what's really interesting, and we haven't spoken of, despite the watch and all this, you know, trauma, as Dre said, LL's back on Def Jam. And I have, I have a full belief the next album that he gives is going to be the most meaningful one he's put out since Goat in 2000. And maybe like, it's that Dr. Dre one. Yeah, word up. So, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of interesting overlap between these guys adjacent and to music. Another one is that they're, they're both MCs who made a comeback. Yeah, yeah. They retired, you know, self-imposed in 2004 after Black Album. Uh, and then, but then when he came back, he literally came back. It did. He he didn't resonate in the same way. It took him a little while to get his footing. Uh, but then with albums like American Gangster, to your point, I think that was his transition. I think the importance of that album is that he was in a different life place, so he couldn't authentically rap about the streets anymore. Yeah, but being able to do so through the fictional or through the uh, lens of like um, you know uh, Frank Lucas, uh, Frank Lucas allowed him to go tap into that again, and then he started to like really get his feet. And I think an album that's underrated is is um, Magna Carta, Holy Grail. I think you know people got like people didn't like the fact that he's rapping about expensive art and stuff like that, but that's the dude's life. You know what I mean? That that's his authentic life, and he was rapping about it, you know, from his own true perspective. But it was with 444 that it congealed because it wasn't just about big money talk. It was it was about like you know stuff he's going through with infidelity and trying to keep a family together and things like that. His mom, yeah, his mom, and and when he did talk about money, it wasn't from a like braggadocio kind of way. It was from a I've made some financial mistakes but also let me give you some games so you can like uplift yourself financially too. So it was a much, much more uh, palatable approach. Yeah. And I think Jay saw his influence that we were talking about, like, instead of me just telling you to throw away the, uh, you know, the Knicks throwback, let me tell you what to really do with your money. Let me tell you how to value yourself. And I think it's very deliberate that Jay-Z talked about the mistake of volume one, because he spoke about volume two, which is an album. I said, my four classics, you said yours. There's a lot of people out there that would ride harder for volume two than they would American Gangster or some of the other choices we've made. I mean, that album was such an entry point for a lot of people. It's not, it's not on my list of my top five Jay-Z albums, but I think it's a very good album. 
but that was a comeback album. I mean, into a career where, again, you know, he could have seemed like the guy that had a really hot debut and something gave way, but he made a statement. That album went to number one. It created an anthem that, you know, crossed over in the biggest way possible. And as Jay-Z brought up, you know, with the rock and roll induction, it really showed a way in a sing-songy way, and shout out to Kid Capri, to let people know what was going on in the ghetto. Um, like that's a powerful record that way in the video and the artwork and all the things that went along with it. Word. So we talked a lot today about living legends. Let, let's, let's, let's talk about a legend that we lost a year ago today. Uh, we, we, we were recording this on October 31st of 2021. And we didn't find this out until New Year's Eve of 2020, but we actually lost MF Doom on October 31st of 2020. Uh, we did a pretty deep dive podcast about about what he meant and how he was actually, even though he called himself hip hop's villain, he was actually one of its biggest superheroes. Uh, so you guys can check that out. But um, it's been amazing in this last year to have um, the new music that we've heard from Doom, you know, whether it be from Zarface or, um, you know, recently we had some stuff from Atmosphere. There've been a lot of people who've who've had you know some MF Doom verses, but you know we get the sense that that's kind of that 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 well is running dry. But you know, what are your thoughts about Doom and his musical legacy a year later? Yeah, I mean, he just continues to permeate culture, um, and it reminds me a lot of like Jay Dilla. Um, and you know, Dilla had a very short window, I think, of of living in his greatness. And, and I think some would say not at all. I mean, he died right around the time Donuts came out. Doom, you know, enjoyed 15 years uh, and a few more of, of his impact. And you talk about comebacks. I mean, Doom, there were so many doors slammed in Doom's face and he came back in the biggest way, but it's wild. Since he passed this year, I've been in traffic and I've looked over and I've seen Doom stickers on cars. I've seen um, I put it, I, you know, I, the other day I was, I was driving through uh, West Philly and somebody had sprayed the doom tag on the side of a tasty cake truck. So, you know, he will be one of our heroes in a way that I think is very unique. Um, but he will, you know, doom's going to live forever. And I'm much more interested in that than the music that comes or whatever, whatever may release. It's sort of like Sean Price. Everybody was working with doom at the end of his life or says that they were, and I'm happy to listen to it. We'll be covering the important stuff on the site. But this man's legacy is immortal. And it's, uh, yeah, it just breaks my heart that he's not here. Yeah, this, this, this phrase gets used far too often. But in this case, like, I, I couldn't, I don't think it could apply more, which is that he was truly one of a kind. Yeah. We've never seen any kind of personality like his in hip hop before. Um, you know, and you talk about comebacks, like, you know, what he did. Uh, you know, in his transition from KMD to, you know, MF Doom is just unbelievable. And so, yeah, uh, I don't think he'll ever be replaced. I think he's someone that people go back to and study. People who truly get into, you know, underground hip hop, you know, hip hop, you know, hip hop uh, that is an alternative to the mainstream. I think that Doom will always be one of those guys, like you said, like Jay Dilla, who kind of defines that and is 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 part of a, a full blown movement. So, yeah, I mean, his lyrics are scripture, and and that's true of LL and that's true of Jay Z. I mean, these are guys whose album cuts we know by heart. We know it as a culture. We know it as fans. Um, it's true of Kendrick Lamar. It's true of 
But MF Doom, if you ever want to understand what wordplay is, he will be the guy taught in college classes. Um, and, and that's that's going to live forever. Word. So we talked about this earlier. Um, Jay-Z put out some new music this week. Uh, there was a soundtrack for the Netflix film, The Harder They Fall, which came out last week. It's a Western featuring an all-black cast. I have not checked it out yet, but I'm going to see it probably in the next week. Have you seen it yet? No, that's my plan as well. Yeah. Well, I had no idea they were going to come with a car, with a, a soundtrack, but it's one of the doper soundtracks we've had in a long time. I think it and Judas and the Black Messiah are easily my two favorite soundtracks this year. Um, but, I mean, the names they had on it are insane. Uh, Jay's got two songs on it, one with Kid Cudi called Guns Go Bang and another joint called King Kong Rhythm with Jadakiss and Conway the Machine. Um, we did an article about that saying they're the new rock boys because all have got Rock Nation affiliation, which is pretty- Great good. headline, great headline, yeah. Um, and then, you know, we've got music from Barrington Levy, the music from CeeLo Green, Seal, who I haven't heard in a long time, sounding completely different, which is crazy. Um, you know, really just incredibly diverse, but sonically cohesive soundtrack i was really really impressed with it what's wild to me too i mean it came out on rock nation records which you know um that surprised me and the director of the film and i hope i'm saying this correctly jamie samuel um produced all the songs on the album so like when was the last time you heard that like that's crazy that's like uh i mean even with crush groove it's not like rick rubin produced all those songs so it's wild and then to work with that kind of star power where you've got lauren hill jay-z you know seal which i often feel like lives in his you know, it's been since the '90s that I've seen Seal on a compilation alongside MCs. This one's uh, this one's really cool, and I agree with you. I think it between that and then Queen and Slim last year, like we're in an interesting time where soundtracks are getting a revival again. And if you would have asked me two or three years ago, I thought the whole format was dead. Yeah, but it makes sense when you step back because streaming services are so much about playlisting. Yeah. And, you know, getting those features like, you know, juices, the algorithms and things like that. And so soundtracks in a lot of ways are kind of the perfect vehicle for the streaming um, era. So hopefully this is going to be a new renaissance of that. You know, we had some incredible soundtracks in the 90s, you know, a few in the O's. But, yeah, they tapered off in the teens for sure. But to get that, I'm not mad at it. I'm here for that. No, and I'm sure, I mean, you know this with your legal background, but like, it's probably a much easier way to get music into a project than always relying on licensing. Like if you're making original music with dope artists, it's promo for the films, wherever they live or the series, but it's also, it's gotta be a whole lot less red tape, I imagine, than trying to go get, you know, like pull a Mad Men or, you know, a Sopranos and go get a very specific song. Yeah, my prediction for the next great soundtrack is uh, for... Um, the celebration of hip hop's 50 years. So Mass Appeal has a new uh, documentary series coming out in partnership with Showtime. It's going to be three uh, installments, at least to start. And they made an announcement about it last week. Uh, What the first one is going to be, um, I think it's titled Video Music Box, and it's directed by Nas, who's a uh, major owner within Mass Appeal. And it's celebrating... uh, at the very least, Ralph McDaniels, who is the uh, founder of Video Music Box. It's the longest standing video show on, on TV. I think it's been 30 years and counting. Um, Ralph, did, yeah. Ralph is like the godfather of rap music video. You know, he uh, started this show, Video Music Box, on public access TV in New York. 
back in the eighties and um, is someone who actually was, is a friend to AFH when we had our, our, our OTT platform or our AFH, AFH TV service, he generously licensed some of his like deepest archive content to us as part of that offering. Um, this guy has had the first ever interviews with Biggie and Eminem and Tupac and Naughty by Nature and, and anybody who came up in hip hop in the late 80s and early 90s. Chances are they had their very first interview with Ralph McDaniels, uh, Aaliyah, even people like, um, you know, um, uh, uh, from FUBU. Uh, what's uh, what's um, Damon I'm, John? Damon John. Yeah, from yeah. FUBU. Um, he has this freestyle and I texted him like when biz passed away. Um, cause we had it on AFH TV. Uh, but man, uh, he had this freestyle with biz Marquis in the, in the bath in a public bathroom in the toilet, doing a toilet freestyle. And it's just absolutely amazing. Um, people may have seen the clips with like, uh, biz freestyling for big daddy Kane. That's Ralph McDaniels video music box. Like, ODB and Jizza, yeah. Yeah, ODB and Jizza. Yeah, so many magical, magical music moments um, are because of Ralph McDaniels. And I think Ralph is from Queens. Um, yeah. So it makes sense to have um, Nas be the guy who produces it because I'm sure that Ralph was deeply instrumental in Nas's come up too. But that's one I can't wait for. And I'm sure the soundtrack, I'm sure it'll, yeah, it would be dope if it was uh, kind of like what they did for... Um, for um, the last dance where they had just an incredible soundtrack of the music of that era. But then it would also be cool for them to do like a complimentary, like inspired by type joint where they got a lot of those artists who were still making great music, which we showcase, you know, all the time to do new songs like celebrating video, video music box. I love that, man. And we saw Nas and EPMD this year make a dope joint together with Eminem, of course. And, you know, Sasha Jenkins is involved, too, you know, part of the Mass Appeal crew and has has become one of what I consider to be the GOAT journalist, you know, co-founder of Ego Trip, you know, done just incredible stuff. He's a Queens native um, and he's moved into film and covered fashion, covered the L.A. riots, covered all of these different things with so much style and grace. Um, and also, you know, shout out to Lionel Martin, you know, who is Ralph's right hand man, also a big advocate of AFH, like the whole, you know, video VMB team, um, man, I mean, those guys changed history. And they also directed their own videos, like, you know, not as a hustle, but as a like, hey, we know how hip hop should be portrayed. So for Gangstar and Black Moon and, you know, on and on and on, those guys made incredible visuals that live with us forever. Absolutely. And Nas, when you step back, you know, I don't think he gets enough credit for some of the visuals that he's had that have just been like groundbreaking. Um, you know, he did a lot of work. He did some work with Hype Williams back in the day. Um, you know, stuff like uh, Hate Me Now, wh yeah. where, you know, was an incredible visual, like very provocative at the time. But then you had subtle things that were, you know, more laid back, but equally powerful, like one mic. Like he's had a lot of like really, really iconic imagery in his videos. So, man, even the Illmatic videos, which I know were done on a relative shoestring budget to the ones you're talking about, they're incredible. And what they show of Queens, what they show of Young Nas, um, he has always, you know, really succeeded in the video. And even in recent years, when you know him and Khaled did the new out, you know, new out, new Nas album ready or Nas album done, like Nas has this way of making you tune in in a really dope way.
Yeah, uh, and even stuff like um, his his uh, song with Amy Winehouse, mm-hmm. um, and then, uh, yeah, and dear, um, what is it, dear? Uh, oh, bye, baby, bye, baby was an incredible video. We actually had the green dress in there uh, from Khalees. So, yeah, man, I, I can't think of many people. I think Nas is a, a very fitting person to do this. I don't know that he's directed anything. He's um, He's um, produced anything like this in the past. Um, Maybe just as an EP with mass appeal, but this one, yeah. especially, it seems like he's really going to have a hands-on level, which, you know, him and Ralph have worked together before. This is going to be like, truly, this is the next must-watch TV moment for me in hip hop. Yeah, absolutely. So we had a, a couple of cool moments this week, you know, Dame Lillard, Dame Dalla. Dropped a freestyle. Um, you know, it, it's not surprising now when Dame does this. He's he's done freestyles a, a number of times for for Sway and others. But dude can legit rap, you know, and he got bars. And this one he's talking about, you know, the things he wants to do off the court off the court in terms of rap accomplishments, but also like getting chips. And one of the most interesting lines is he talks about how he resisted doing a dream team. It was almost like a purist kind of stand where he wants to do it on his own, kind of like the way that LeBron did with Cleveland when he went back. Um, but I, I thought that was an interesting thing because now it's almost impossible to get a ring without like building a dream team or joining one. Yeah. And it's not like the trailblazers are, you know, a friend, you know, they're not, they're not the Yankees. They're not one of those teams that can hold a player with the biggest draw. And I think that's so dope. You know, one of my favorite players of all time growing up was Tony Gwynn in baseball because he never left the Padres. And a lot of those Padres teams weren't good, but he resisted the temptation. And I thought it was so dope how Dame Dollar used his freestyle, like as a press conference, like, oh, you want to hear what I really think about something? You're going to hear it in verse. And, you know, there's, there's been great professional ballplayer spitters before, but he, in, in the last five years, has become my favorite. You know, um, what was that compilation back in the day? Uh, basketball's, B-ball's best kept secret. Remember that? I don't remember that. No. Oh man. You had like, yeah, all the guys rapping with great producers and all of that. But yeah, Dame Dollar is dope. And his new album, I actually checked it out after I saw that. He's got Q-Tip, Lil Wayne. I mean, he's always worked with, 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 with stars, but in that, in our post on the site, he has a joint with Q-Tip that is not the type of song that you would expect beat wise Hmm. for Q-Tip to be on. And it's all about meditation and getting your mind right. And I was like, this is great hip hop, man. Straight up. That's crazy. That's crazy. So um, we also had an anniversary that came up, a 25th anniversary. You want to talk about that? Yeah, man. Ghostface Killer, 25 years since his debut album, solo debut, Iron Man. And uh, we covered it on the site. I encourage people to check it out. Ghost came back and did just, I mean, it's a five minute long vignette. But um, Ghost over the years has been one of my favorite people to interview um, because Ghost is exactly who he is on music in person. And this video has that. And he speaks about, like, it's amazing the amount of press that the guys from Wu-Tang do. And there's still new information coming out that I haven't heard before. And I've been covering these guys for 20 years. And he said around that time that RZA used to put beats, like finished beats or skeleton beats in these different colored boxes. And Ghost was like, the yellow box was the one that you wanted because it had all the soul to it. And, you know, any fan that looks beyond Iron Man and all that's followed, Ghost has always been that guy that's in the shy lights, the stylistics, you know, a lot of the Philly soul groups. And 
there was a specific kind of sound that he gravitated towards. And just as we talk about LL and Jay-Z and vulnerability, Ghost really goes in depth about All That I've Got Is You, which is one of my all-time favorite records, just point blank, period. And he speaks about why, A, that was true. Like, you know, him growing up in this household with all of these siblings, some of his siblings, you know, suffering from things like muscular dystrophy, um, which just wasn't what you heard in a rap record in 96 and going next door to kind of borrow bread and pick roaches out of the cereal. And the things that we love about Ghostface in 2021 were things that really kind of galvanized on that album. And you and I, I mean, I think we talked about it during the Versus episode between Raekwon and Ghost. I go back and forth all the time, like a lot of fans do. What's better, Supreme Clientele or Iron Man? After watching the Iron Man stuff, I thought that, you know, maybe I'm going Team Iron Man right now. And what's cool, too, is Ghost is um, he did a sneaker with Patrick Ewing's company, Ewing Athletics, that kind of celebrates the artwork. He um, they re-released the music, remastered it with some remixes on the DSPs. It's just a cool little um, coming out and then get on down who puts out some of the dopest uh, reissues in hip hop next year, early 2022. They're going to do a vinyl reissue. And they're going to dip the vinyl like the Wallabies that Ghost did on the cover, where it's going to be like half blue, half cream. So, you know, I just I love when hip hop makes collector's items like that. Yeah, you know, there, there are some songs I like on Iron Man uh, better than anything on Supreme Clientele, like, uh, you know, Daytona 500. Like probably mm-hmm. it might be my favorite uh, Ghost song of all time. But I think as a full body of work, I'm, I still lean more toward Supreme Clientele, you know, but both are great projects, you know, both, I think, stand within the top five, if not top 10 of Woo material collectively, you know, and so mm. we should talk about that at some point, like, you know, the top 10. Top Woo. five all day. We will. Yeah. We're going to get a lot of hate for that. We got to do that from a bunker or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but no, that was great to see. I mean, just on a, not a lesser note, but on a smaller note, um, ASAP Rocky put, you know, his debut, Live Love ASAP on the streaming platforms, which you know, I think I think ASAP has put out you know great joints since then. It's been fun to watch him evolve, but that was one of those tapes. And recently, you know, J. Cole, Kendrick, and Drake have you know spoken about their place as kind of the superstars of that blog era. And I mean, ASAP has been hugely relevant. Joey Badass, another artist this week who put out an EP, Big Sean, is a product of that. Um, but I'm glad. One of the things that I think is cool is you know from wayne to chance the rapper to the late mac miller logic a lot of these artists are taking their mixtapes and authorizing them in a way that they can live forever on the dsps and that's just great to see yeah you know so um we talked about dame dash earlier when i was a bt i first heard long i heard goldie right and i, I love goldie i posted it on afh Jeez, man, back, it may have been 2010 uh, when it dropped, um, mm-hmm. like fall of 2010. Um, and, but I didn't know if it would fit the lens because I thought it was a bit too, you know, it, you know, it was really tapping into that um, um, chopped and screwed sound. And I didn't know if it would really um, kind of fit the, the New York kind of lens I was building. But I love the song, uh, but I didn't know that that Rocky would have much longevity. You know, I saw him as, as almost kind of like, a novelty thing, um, especially with that kind of sound coming out of New York. But there are two things that really kind of changed my impression of him. One was I had a call with Dame Dash, one of the only calls I had with him. 
And it was about something completely unrelated. And, and and just like he just threw out there, yo, what do you think about this Ace of Rocky kid? And I was like, oh, he's all right. You know, I like Goldie, blah, blah, blah. He's like, yo, he, he going to be here for a minute. Like he was like really like he was pressing me and letting me know that like Ace of Rocky was going to be here for a second. And he was very, very right in that. Uh, I guess he does have like an eye, eye for talent for sure. You know, um, I say that facetiously, you know, and then uh, um so that was dope to have that interaction with him. And I'll never forget that. Um, but then I actually, so we talk about students of the game and people who love the culture. Right. And so Jay and LL clearly love the culture. And I had the, uh, the great opportunity to produce a documentary for BET called um, um, uh, man, the message. the message. Thank you. Yes. The message. Uh, and we celebrated 40 years of hip hop at the time. And ASAP Rocky was one of the people of the new school that we interviewed and Kendrick and a bunch of people like that. But ASAP Rocky just proved himself to be such a student of the game. And you know, we asked him about why he sounded like that. He said, listen, man, I grew up listening to Matt. When I grew up, it was like the late nineties and master P and cash money and all that was what was popping. And so, yeah, we got a Southern influence. That doesn't mean anything, you know, about us not being Harlem. Like NWA had New York influence and so forth. And it was just such an astute, like, connection. I was like, okay, this dude is dope. Like, really, really super intelligent. And um, is that at, at that point, I was convinced he's going to be around for a minute. But Long Live Ace yeah, was dope, man. That that was a dope, dope mixtape. What a fun time, too. And, yeah, I mean, shout out to him. His name is Rakim, so I always thought that was dope. And And that was a fun time, too, when you had him and uh, Big Crit, lesser extent Yellow Wolf, but a few of these guys that were giving people like UGK and 8-Ball and MJG and 3-6 Mafia their flowers. Because as we both know, hip-hop media can often be very East Coast, New York-centric, and to a secondary extent, West Coast-centric. And some of those guys get lost. And now, I mean, we, in that same time, Bun B is the OG that he deserves to be, you know, Juicy J had an epic comeback. DJ Paul, same way. And, and Ball and G are poised for one. And, and I always thought that that mixtape kicked things open. Um, you know, one other thing I want to mention this week, you know, you talked about Doom and there's a few times in life. Where wait, I think wait, that, one, one you know, quick thing. Quick, one quick thing. So it was, uh, yeah. was uh, fucking problems. Was that was on Long Live ASAP? That was on his uh, debut album, I believe, the one that followed. So that was like 2012, the next year. And the way that he titled his albums, I can never, like, I can't give you the title of the album verbatim right now, but it was another, like, you know, three words. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, um, cool. So I got a fun, I got a cool, fun story about that when, uh, when, when the time comes. Okay. And that song has held up very, 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 very well, as did One Train. It involves Um, Kendrick. Involves Kendrick. One Train was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So one thing, so um, radio was 1985. That's what I thought. Over 85. Yeah, Yeah, you said 87. I said 84, but it's all good. No, 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 no. When I said 87, it was I Need Love. But I I always thought thought on radio. Yeah. Okay. I always get kind of lost in the lights on that one because I own all of LL's albums. But um, I'll get killed for that in the comments. But, you know, I I mentioned Doom. So, you know, three or four years before his passing, Doom lost his son. And there have been times in hip-hop where people that we know, Wait, people that we I'm, I'm messing up. You're right. It was on bat. 
You got All right. me. Boom. Got me. Oh, man. All right. Comments All right. are coming for you. My, my age is showing. <laughs> nah, man. I don't know what you're talking about. But um, on, a, on a somber note, seriously, like, there's times when people in hip-hop pass away. I think Kanye's mom was a representation of that, you know, so on and so forth. And um, this week there were two losses. Snoop uh, lost his mom at a time when he's gearing up to release his first album with Def Jam. And, um, you know, he was visibly affected by that in some performances and a listening party this week. So I want to, um, you know, extend condolences there. Also an artist that I've gotten to know through proximity in Philly and some of close mutual friends, um, Freeway lost his daughter. And I bring that up because last year, I believe, Freeway lost his son. He lost his daughter to cancer. I can't remember what, what, what took his son, but it's heartbreaking because that's somebody, I mean, Freeway has gone through kidney transplant. Um, he's gone through so much in his career and I've always found Freezer to be a really good dude. His um, debut album you know, is one of my favorite joints of the early 2000s, one of my favorite Rockefeller joints. But as we talk about Barack Obama and Jay-Z, you know, Joe Biden, um, President Biden, released a statement acknowledging the passing of Freeway's daughter. And as we talk about hip hop kicking open doors and just being on a different plateau than it was 5, 10, 30 years ago, I thought that was meaningful because in this area that I am today, you know, Joe Biden, you know, before the White House, he was living in Delaware and he's done a lot of campaigning in Philly. And he's, he's, he's used Freeway before. Freeway has been an ambassador to the Black culture, the Black community, um, the hip-hop community, the hip-hop culture. And to see President Biden acknowledge somebody who's going through a very difficult time, I thought was powerful. That's very powerful. I didn't realize that Freeway had been instrumental in campaigning for him. But yeah, definitely condolences to both him and Snoop. That is uh, that's, that's very, very tough, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, new music time, man. Um, yeah. This has been one of the best new music weeks that I can remember in a long time, maybe the best of 2021 so far. But we had a product from, uh, and I think these all came out this week, but let me know if if uh, some didn't. J-Live, who's one of my favorites, um, you know, just uh, one of those MCs who I don't ever think got the proper right. just do, but, you know, um, you know, early O's, just Seven Heads Entertainment with Wes Jackson, who did, you know, Brooklyn Hip Hop Festival. Jay Live is incredible. Um, started as a teacher, you know, still gives a lot of education in his in his rap. Um, really, really great EP. Uh, put a song, uh, actually two songs on our playlist. Which people can check out on Spotify. Uh, we updated uh, probably like 20 songs this week. Um Ransom and Rome Streets, Coup de Grasse. Man, oh, that's man. the joint. Woo, that is on, that's going to make both Jake's and my year end list. Uh, but you As of right now. About, you want to talk about yeah, that? I mean, it's, it's, it's been great too, because Ransom's been somebody that's been around for at least 15 years, probably closer to 20. He first popped onto my radar through the work he was doing with Joe Budden and I believe Stack Bundles, RIP. Um, and Ransom, you know, did a, and I don't even know the details of it, to be honest with you, but he's somebody that had been in and out of prison, but in recent years, and like the last two years has been on a tear. And when you talk about like the Griselda formula of just dropping every month, Ransom has put out so many joints this year. He's worked with a producer named Nicholas Craven a lot, a lot of different people. And Rome Streets is the same way. Guy who's born in, I believe, Germany, 
um, but, but comes from Brooklyn. He's somebody we had included on the site some years ago, and he's been a, you know, a, a supporter of AFHs for some time. This year alone, he's at, by my count, three, maybe four albums, one of which is completely produced by DJ Muggs. And then both of these guys have been kind of talking about this project that they had together. And uh, Coup de Grasse is lives up to the hype. And it's great. And I saw a commenter on Twitter, and I wish I could attribute them. But they were saying, you know, this project is, is a greater than the sum of its parts. Because these two guys, you speak a lot, Reggie, about vocal frequencies. You know, these guys have very different vocal deliveries and even flows. And I think they can probably both be not polarizing, but either you dig it or you don't. And they come together for something new and original and they complement each other really, really well. And the person that tweeted that um, compared them to Ray and Ghost that way of just like, yo, these guys like clearly get it. There's a lot of knowledge in there. There's a lot of like rawness. And what's crazy, one of the joints you put on the playlist features the game. So whereas I know Rome Street signed with Griselda earlier this year, we had talked about that on a past podcast. And they, you know, he's been all over some different projects, especially within the Griselda kind of circle. But we haven't seen outside of that, like a giant artist come in and kind of give him, you know, a huge opportunity, maybe Rock Marciano, but the game, I mean, here you got a platinum artist, multi-platinum that comes in on a feature and that on, on paper might not make sense. This dude from Compton with the guy from Jersey and a guy from Brooklyn. But that's one of my favorite songs on the album. Yeah, that's incredible, man. And, you know, Ransom, uh, I've heard his music over the years, the last couple of years especially, but hadn't really locked in until the whole um, Lupe, Royce, Mickey Fax, um, mm-hmm. you know, back and forth. And, you know, ironically, it's actually Mickey who drew me in the most because his interpretation or imitation of Ransom was so ill uh, that it made me go back and check it out. First of all, his his imitation was spot on, not only vocally, but also just flow and just rhyme style. It's it's mind bending when you think about it. But Ransom is ill, dude. he put out that that EP that album earlier, like you said, um, uh, this year. Seven Seven Deadly Sins, and you had put that on the playlist too. I think the yeah. joint maybe Lust. Yeah. yeah, he's got like three or four joints on the playlist at this point, you know. And yeah, I agree with you in terms of the differences in frequencies, but this joint is tough, man. Um, the name of that song is "Pray for the Weak," and it's um, it just it 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 delivers. The other song that I really like on there is called "Dark Love." Yeah. And, uh, pause. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like that. That was one of the the album highlights. Also, you you hit me to this one. Currency and Harry Fraud. They had put out the Outrunners last year, which I thought, you know, these guys had worked together before, but I thought it was a great marriage um, of, you know, Harry's beats, Spitta's rhymes. They came back for another one called Regatta, keeping the boat you know, the cigarette boat theme. And man, I, um, I know that currency's flow can be an acquired taste for some, some people. I love his imagery. You know, you and I just did an interview with AZ and AZ really thrives at putting in these, these, these evocative images. Spitta is like that too. I mean, and, and watching a guy who was poised to be Wayne's number one artist, you know, 15 years ago, it didn't go as planned. Even before that was a 504 boy on No Limit but has found stardom on his own terms. And even you mentioned Dame Dash. Dame was one of those people in between those guys that really got behind currency and believed in him. But to watch him through Jet Life do what he does, 
man, I mean, and, and he's prolific without ever wavering quality. Yeah, you know, and uh, so Mick Jenkins, that come out this week or last week? It did. came out this week. Yeah. Mick Jenkins, Elephant in the Room. Um, I listened to that in totality. Uh, also, really quality listen. I put a song or two on the playlist for that. Uh, we talked about The Harder They Fall. Planet Asia, Rule of Thirds. I know that's a big one for you. You want to talk yeah, about Yeah, I mean, Planet Asia is one of those guys. Justin Hunt, our dear, beloved friend and colleague, you know, coined this term that we've spoken of here of connoisseur rap you know, which kind of fits into the Griselda sound, the Rock Marciano sound. I think that Rome Streets and Ransom would fall into that. I think that Planet Asia is a forefather of that. And I don't think he gets his credit. I've heard a few people give him props, but I think because he comes from Fresno, California, which is a different, you know, it's not the East Coast thing, but, but Asia has always been about that kind of, you know, smoked out, very like short, quick bars of wisdom. And I mean, this is somebody that I've been listening to for, you know, well over 20 years before Cali Agents. And ever since he put out the Anchovies album with Apollo Brown a few years ago and the Durag Dynasty project, which Alchemist produced, the 2010s have been really kind to him. But I feel like this is a very meaningful project in PA's catalog. It's entirely produced by Alchemist. It's on Alchemist's new label. And I said Alchemist, Evidence. It's on Evidence's new label. And what's so interesting is this is coming at a year where for me, Evidence still has the album of the year. So on one hand, you go make the album of the year and then you expertly produce your man that you've worked with for all of these years and really give him a standout project. That, that's the album I've listened to most this week. It's a quick listen. It's um, you know Planet Asia just really locking in and doing what he does best. Um, and, and at the end of the podcast, you know, my song of the week, I can tell you right now is Green, Green Thin Wood, which is one of those metaphor songs of taking the idea of money and looking at the adage of money growing on trees and kind of bringing it to life. And, and Evidence gives one of the illest beats that I've heard in years. It's probably my favorite beat this year. Um, it reminds me a lot of If You Know You Know by Pusha T, just that fuzzed out kind of sample sound. And, and PA is the perfect MC for it. Yeah, you know, I first got put on the planet Asia through Zion I, mm. you know, rest in peace to Zumbi. Like it was uh, 1999 when their song Critical was out. He was a, a, a featured MC on that. And I just thought his voice was so ill. And then I think I had Cali Agents on vinyl. Him and Rasco uh, was super dope. Uh, but I've been a fan for a long time. He's, he's been consistent, always quality. You know, you, you know what you're going to get there. Um, I've listened to like half of this album. I, I got to finish it. Reason dropped a, a joint, um, No More, No Less. Um, and it's got Wale and Benny the Butcher uh, on it. Um, and three songs, just a quick EP. You know, you talk about Song of the Week, though, and you mentioned Planet Asia and his work with Apollo Brown. My Song of the Week is from a forthcoming album between Apollo Brown and Stally. And Apollo does this every year, it seems. He'll pick an MC who's been um, in the circuit for a minute and is just a super dope MC and will just choose to do a full collaborative album with them. He did it with Planet Asia. He's done it with... Um, Raz, Kaz, Raz, OC. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Big Poo. Did he do one Big Poo? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's done a bunch of joints, and his next one is going to be with Stally. And Stally is um, one of my favorite MCs. Um, you know, since intelligent uh, trunk music, um, you know, his his um, uh, his mixtape from back in the day, 
I supported him a lot when I was at BET, made him part of Music Matters. There are a bunch of old archival AFH interviews on YouTube with him. But he and Apollo have a song called Humble Wins, which is super dope. And it's that, uh, you know, I think he did the joint with Shea Noir and um, um, didn't Apollo do that? With yeah. Noir and, um, Black Dog. And, uh, yeah. Um, but um, what's the, the other guy's name, the MC that Shea, that Shea raps with? Oh, uh, uh, 38 Special? Yeah, 38 Special. That joint was crazy. And it's very much in that like soulful vein of like, uh, you know, kind of like... Um, like muted horns and uh, and he's got these vocals that, that he pitches out. His style is very distinct and soulful and he does that with Stalley and I think it's, it's a perfect match. One of my favorite Stalley songs of all time, straight up, heavy, heavy rotation. You, you sent it this week and the name of the album is Blacklight. It's coming November 19th and he's got two of his label mates at Mellow Music Group on there. Uh, Sky Zoo, who is an also a contender this year for album of the year, as well as Joel Ortiz, who's got another joint coming the week before called Autograph on November 12th. And he put out his first joint called OG, which is all about levels to the game and just what his life looks like now. Just a couple other songs I want to shout out. And, um, you know, YG um, put out a record called Sign Language, which is co-produced by Terrace Martin. I'm a huge fan of G-Funk. I think that YG has one of the best ears for music. We talk about Def Jam. I thought in the 2010s, one of the best albums that Def Jam was behind that wasn't from a Kanye or a Roots or a Pusha T was My Crazy Life. I mean, that was right around the time you and I started working together. But I haven't been as inspired by YG lately. Um, you know, he did a joint album with Mozzie that I checked out. But this song is everything I dig about YG. And Terrace Martin, I mean, that's somebody that is carrying on the G-Funk tradition. So I've been playing that one a lot. I also didn't realize this, that it, it came out but, you know, Snoop, Too Short, E-40, and Ice Cube have this group called Mount Westmore. Then a lot of people believe the album is going to coincide with, you know, Snoop's appearance at the Super Bowl. They put out their first single, um, and it's called Big Subwoofer. Name says it all, but uh, definitely check that out because, you know, I mean, Short and 40 and Snoop are very prolific. We don't get a ton of music from Cube always. So to see these guys together, that's worth noting. Um, yeah, there's the, a video. The video drops on that like a week or so ago too. Yeah, yeah, the, and I missed it. Like that, yeah, I missed it. And then the last thing, my man Luke, who's uh, been a supporter of this podcast, put me on to Wale's new album, Fallerin Two, and uh, Falarin. I never know how to say Wale. Falarin, yeah, Falarin. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed it. You know, Wale is somebody, and, and he talks about it on the album. You know, his behavior away from music can sometimes be off-putting to people, but he's just so passionate um you know about about where he belongs on on these lists and in rankings and in perception and it's a really good album and you know one of the one of my favorite joints ever on mmg the other nmg maybach music group was wale's ambition album to me that that was one of the albums of the 2010s um and he is back in a really good spot and it's got some songs that allude to extensions he has um tiffany nikes which i i believe relates to nike boots which was the song that got me into wale to begin with in the mid 2000s um so it's just cool to watch his trajectory but yeah amazing week for music i've been playing so much of it and um you know i i gotta give out props to you man i know i've had a little bit of input but our playlist is just killing it right now like that's what i've been hitting in the car you know, when I'm, you know, doing stuff around the house, all of that. So if Word. you don't follow the AFH playlist, you know, 
to your knowledge. For real, for real. So Lotus Flower Bomb, that's so on ambition, right? It is. That was not my joint. <laughs> I was gonna say Jake Payne yeah. does like R and B, ladies. Yeah, no, no. The there title, the title track, though. Oh man, that's strong. That, Keep your anti R and B flag planted, my man. It's good. It's all yeah. good. Um, yeah. Yo, yeah, phenomenal week for hip hop. Phenomenal week for new music. Phenomenal week for recognition of the past and present of what hip hop has become. So yeah, man, uh, one of the best hip hop weeks I can remember. Yeah, shout out to two of our living legends. Let's say three, Dre, uh, you know, with the with the presentation, but LL and Jay-Z, man, it was your week. Uh, great week for music on some future artists that hopefully can get to that stage, man. And we had to do this. So yeah, I, I had to break and enter to do this podcast. And it was 100% worth it. We're for real. Jake going through the window pane. Oh, man. <laughs> We're, yeah. Well, until next time, man. Yeah, next time, man. Always a pleasure. Likewise. Peace. Later.